Hello, patrons. It's the bonus podcast for the Mothers Against Digital Dangers episode, um, which is the season finale and the year finale for the show. Um, on this bonus podcast, I'm going to talk a little bit about the history behind the idea of this episode. Um, I'm also going to play you the Drone Gods Manifesto from Infinite Detail. And I will tell you a little bit more about Mothers Against Drunk Driving, which is super interesting. Um, plus, uh, just like a little bit of a year-end recap, some updates on Patreon rewards, and also um, a little bit about what you're going to hear in the bonus podcast when the show's on a break um, and there are not episodes to talk about. So um, here we go. Let's do it. Okay. First, um, a little bit of backstory on this episode. Um, like I said in the episode, uh, I've been thinking about this idea for a really long time. Um, friends of mine know that like this is one of those things that I like to talk about as a potential thing that I'm sort of obsessed with. Um, some of you actually may have found the topic kind of familiar sounding because I did a talk about this at the Exploratorium in San Francisco a while back and I put the audio out in this bonus podcast. So some of these ideas are sort of familiar to you. Um, the talk itself did not go super well, I don't think. I mean, nobody like booed or anything, but I don't think it like went great in part because I think the audience, well, in fact, I know the audience had like no idea what to expect or who I was. I think they came thinking they were going to get like a talk about the history of the internet. And instead they got like this really weird conspiracy theory that I have. And so I just sort of sounded like an unhinged podcast lady, um, which isn't like inaccurate exactly, but, um, but yeah. Uh, so yeah, you heard sort of pieces of this, um, for that talk, if you remember or listened to that bonus episode. Um, I also wrote a piece of fiction to go along with today's episode and that went up in motherboard, um, yesterday. Uh, along with the episode. And it gives you a little bit of backstory on the mom that you hear in the episode. Um, I'll post a link to that in the show notes for this bonus episode. Um, by the way, the actor who played the mom in the episode was great, right? Like she's awesome. Her name is Tamara Krinsky and you might find her voice familiar because she's a regular um, in the Flash Forward universe. She's on a lot of episodes. Um, and so I just want to plug her show. She has a TV show, which you can watch. She's the host of a show called Tomorrow's World Today. And you can get both seasons that exist, seasons one and two, on Amazon Prime. Um, and it's all about sort of technology and science in the future. So um, if you like Flash Forward and you want to support Tomorrow, who does the voices a lot of the time for the show, um, please check that out. Uh, she's great. And she did such a good job with that mom character. And she actually emailed me afterwards and was like, you know, she's a mom. And she was sort of saying that, like, she doesn't agree, obviously, with the mom in the scene, but she also kind of understands why the mom says what they're saying and sort of like where they're coming from, um, which I thought was really cool. Um, okay, so first thing related to the episode that I want to play for you on this bonus podcast is a clip from the Drone Gods Manifesto, which is from Infinite Detail. So if you haven't heard the episode yet, as always, this is going to make less sense than if you've already heard the episode. Um, but basically, in Infinite Detail, there is a group of people uh, called Drone Gods, and they're kind of these like chaos agents, and they decide to shut down the internet. And they have in the book, there's this manifesto that they write and they put out that you can read. Um, and in the audio audiobook version of Infinite Detail, they actually like produced it to be more of like an audio manifesto. And in fact, actually in the audiobook version of Infinite Detail, there's a lot of really cool stuff like this and music and stuff like that. So um, I want to play for you just a clip of the Drone Gods manifesto. So this isn't the whole thing, but it is just a clip of it. So here you go. 
Hello dear friends around the world. We do hope you are well. He we have some news, news for you. Today this will be our last post. Not just for some time, but well, forever. forever. How do we say that with such certainty? Because by the end of this week, we promise you there will be nowhere left for us to post. What you say is drone gods planning to take down our beloved paste bin? Oh no, our dear friends. Well, not exactly. We have far bigger fish to fry. And we've finally managed to get hold of a pan big enough to toss that fish into. But first, let's all catch up on a few things. We hate the internet. Did we not mention that before? Well, we do. We hate the internet now. We used to love it. We grew up loving it. For us, it was always there. It was never a new thing. But boy, our friends, was it ever an exciting thing. It used to make us so happy. It used to make us so excited. We used to have so much fun on the internet. It was our playground. Our home. Our school. It was somewhere we could make friends. Lovely friends like you. It was somewhere we could be naughty. Somewhere we could be good. Somewhere we could laugh and cry. Somewhere we could fall in love. Somewhere we could come together. Somewhere we could wander off and be on our own. But most of all, it used to be somewhere we thought we could change the world. Somewhere we could start a revolution. Yes. That's right. We're so young we don't remember time where there was no internet. But we're still old enough to remember being excited that we could use it to start a revolution. But we were so wrong about that, our friends. So very wrong. There was no revolution to be had on the internet. Not at all. The idea that there ever was is false. A big fat lie. Again, I definitely recommend reading the book. I think about it all the time. Anytime, like, a small thing doesn't work or like we learn that like Facebook is down for like 70 seconds. I always whisper to myself, it's happening. And sometimes I text Tim Mon about it because I, I, every time I just think about like, maybe this is it. Maybe this is the moment that the internet goes down. It never is, but whatever. Um, the other thing from this episode that I did not include in the full cut of the episode is a longer exploration of mothers against drunk driving. So I gave you the basic gist of this history in the episode, but I think that there's a ton to say, actually, about Mothers Against Drunk Driving. Um, like I said on the episode, MAD was created by Candy Leitner, whose daughter was killed by a drunk driver in 1980. And one of the reasons that Candy was so mad about her daughter's death, which, I mean, like, obviously that is a horrible thing, um, but the reason Candy decided to actually kind of do something about it was that the person who killed her daughter was actually a repeat offender. So he had been caught drinking and driving like just a couple weeks before and let off with a slap on the wrist. And this is sort of what really incensed Candy. Like in her mind, if the laws around drinking and driving were more strict, then he wouldn't have been on the road and he wouldn't have killed her daughter. And also when she asked, apparently, this is the story she tells, when she asked the prosecutors, you know, how much jail time this guy was going to do for killing her daughter, they basically were like, oh, probably not that much because, you know, he was intoxicated and it wasn't like, you know, murder, murder. It was just drunk driving murder. The guy was out on bail after a hit and run two days before he hit your kid. I mean, a list of priors, as long as you're armed, and the damn judge lets him out on bail after a hit and run. Well, at least this time he'll, he'll go to prison. Where he belongs. This time he'll have to stay in prison. Yeah, sure. 
Wait, wait, he'll, he'll, he'll go to prison, won't he? Lady, you're gonna be lucky if he does any jail time at all, much less prison. They don't put drunks in prison, you know that. But, but he, he, he killed my daughter. He killed her! What can I tell you, lady? That's the way it goes. So that was a clip from a 1983 TV movie about MAD that dramatizes Candy's story. And, I mean, that's only three years after this terrible death and the organization was founded. And like I said on the episode, Candy and this organization, they got really famous very quickly and were having influence on laws super fast. Um, Personally, I would love to see a book written about the history of MAD and why it worked so well and sort of all the ins and outs of what happened because it's sort of a really interesting story. Um, I've been reading some papers about it. And to me, there's just this like, there's so many interesting questions about it. And also there's a lot of sort of like internal infighting Um, within the organization. And it all kind of opens up this big question, like, why was MAD so successful? Like, what about it worked where past efforts did not? You know, it's not like drunk driving was a brand new issue in the 1980s. Um, There were people talking about this as early as 1904. And obviously, there were laws about drinking and driving before the 1980s. But there was something about MAD and Candy Leitner that, like, really ignited this conversation and made it a national huge conversation really quickly and was just, like, so successful, which I think is really interesting because a lot of organizations and a lot of causes don't find that kind of spark that quickly or ever sometimes. Um, In all of the papers that I've been reading about the history of MAD and sort of, like, the phenomenon of MAD, there are a few reasons that people highlight for the success of MAD. Um, And one of them is that Candy Leitner kind of gave a face to this problem, right? Everybody knew that drunk driving was an issue, but it sort of felt kind of like abstract, kind of like climate change. And one paper I read argues that, quote, what seems to have kept this issue from becoming a part of America's open political discourse was the absence of a way for people to identify with the problem personally, to give a human face to the problem. This came eventually in the form of the angry, bereaved parent playing the role of victim activist, end quote. And that connects directly back to the episode that we're talking about, right? Um, The flash forward episode we're talking about. You need a human person to connect the harmful effects of something to someone who is sympathetic and charismatic. Um, And this is actually another reason why MAD was so successful. Candy Leitner was apparently incredibly forceful and incredibly charismatic. In one interview, she said, quote, I didn't think, can I or can't I? I thought in terms of emotion, and that emotion was based on grief and anger and revenge and bitterness. The emotion is what carried me in the beginning. What kept me going was seeing that I could make a difference, end quote. Now, I want to be clear that Candy wasn't just emotional. She was also super strategic. She learned how politics worked very quickly and wound up being really savvy. One mad staffer back in 1993 said that Candy's anger and grief were, quote, catalysts for her to do anything. And I mean just about anything. That included being politic with anyone who would listen to her plea. I don't think she went into it with a plan at all. I think it evolved. Candy is a great example of the evolution of an activist. End quote. Candy became basically a media darling, and she totally worked it. She knew how to work it. And MAD grew really, really quickly. In fact, it grew so quickly that Candy kind of didn't really know how to handle 
all of it, right? This organization went from just her and a couple of other moms to a nationwide phenomenon where there were chapters in different cities. And in 1983, Candy was embroiled in a scandal over how the money was used at MAD, and it caused a whole bunch of chaos sort of within the organization. Um, in 1984, Candy was still in charge, but there was sort of a lot of resentment towards her internally. Um, people internally started calling her the Mad Queen. Um, her own secretary said this about working with her, quote, She's very unstable, and she's very demanding, and there's no sense of continuity with Candy. She'll tell you, black one minute, and 30 seconds later, swear to you she said white, and Candy is never wrong about anything. Everybody else is wrong, but Candy's not, end quote. In 1985, five years after founding the organization and amidst sort of like all of this internal strife, Candy left MAD and sort of became her own independent activist. And she's still alive and she's still out there doing stuff. But the organization, after Candy left, has not just continued, but it actually has grown. And today, MAD is huge. And it's in part because Candy was so good at getting press. But scholars that I've been reading have argued that there are other reasons why MAD got so successful and stayed so successful. So one paper I read highlighted that Mothers Against Drunk Driving was also able to tap into something called perpetual trauma, which is this idea that we all kind of collectively, culturally experience the trauma of things like epidemics, like drunk driving, not just because of their impacts, but also because we all start to worry about being future victims. So we move around in the world and we're like, oh no, what if I get hit by a drunk driver and I get killed? And that's like a thing we worry about. And that sort of connects to this thing that this academic calls perpetual trauma. I'll link to that paper in the show notes for this bonus podcast too. Okay, there is a ton of stuff to say about MAD, but I will just end with one more statistic about how successful the organization has been. So since 1980, over 2,500 anti-drunk driving, victim rights, and underage drinking prevention laws have been passed. Many of those were either because of or with the help of MAD. 2,500 since 1980. That's a lot of stuff. And seriously, I would love someone to write a book about Mothers Against Drunk Driving because I really want to read it. Or like a Slow Burn podcast series. If you've never listened to Slow Burn at Slate, maybe like a series of episodes about it. I think that would totally work. Anyway, um, I don't want to write that book, but someone should do it. All right, so now moving on from the stuff that was not in the episode that could have been in the episode to a more general recap about this season and then also this whole year, mini season, full season, whole year, etc. Um, where to begin? Okay, every year I post a blog post on the website that recaps the year and recaps all the episodes we've done, all the books that I've read. Um, for the episodes, does a little bit of like back to the future for old episodes. And it also sort of makes public my guest demographics. So I track pretty closely sort of the demographics of guests. Um, so gender identity and race and things like that. Um, just so I can get a sense of who I'm having on the show. Um, it's really important to me for Flash Forward to be a space where it's not just sort of the same standard people you hear all the time. And in futurism, those people tend to be like upper middle class white men who are like cis and able-bodied. Um, and so it's important to me to think a little bit about making sure that the guests on the show sort of reflect the future that I want to see, which is a diverse future. Um, 
Every year I set a goal for how diverse I want the guests to be. Um, I've always basically had, if not 50-50 gender breakdown, slightly more women than men on the show. And that's sort of been since the first season. But when it comes to people of color on the show, I have not always been very good about that. So the first couple seasons were only about 20% of the guests. Um, and I've sort of slowly been working my way up. So last year, I set a goal of trying to get 40% of the guests on the show to be people of color. Um, I did not hit that goal. I got to 38%. Um, and I'm doing a lot of thinking about next year and sort of how to try and hit that goal next year and why I didn't hit it this year. Um, I think some of it is that the way that this production schedule wound up being for these mini seasons meant that I was often a little bit more time crunched for finding guests for certain episodes. And when you're time crunched for finding guests, that means that you can't always like do the extra thing and try to go find the person who's not always interviewed. Um, and you sort of end up with sort of the same people who are vocal and who respond to emails very quickly. Um, so I'm thinking about that, thinking about making sure that I'm trying to give myself a little more time to be able to find the folks that I want to have on the show. Um, and this is not to say that any of the guests on the show this year were bad. They were all amazing. Everybody did great and everyone gave me their time and I really appreciate it. So this is like no shade at all to the folks who have been on the show. Um, I'm just trying to think about making the show more inclusive and more open. Um, if you have any experts that you'd like to hear on the show, please let me know. I'm always open to hearing about people, no matter what kind of people they are. I just want to know who's cool and interesting, um, and I can sort of look into them. So feel free to send me names literally anytime, even if you're not sure what future they would fit into. If you find someone whose work you think is really cool, um, just send it to me. I love to hear that stuff. Um, Another thing I'm thinking about, and this is a small thing that I've been thinking a little bit about, um, is the way that I introduce guests on the show. Um, so I don't, when I introduce a guest, when I'm saying like, oh, this is so-and-so, for the vast majority of the seasons since the beginning, I have not said their sort of like official title in that I won't say like Dr. Smith or like Dr. Jones or whoever it is. Um, I just sort of say like, this is, you know, Jenny Jones and she's an expert in blah, blah, blah. And so that way you know, like, obviously why I'm talking to this person, but you don't necessarily know if they have a PhD or not. Um, I see arguments on both sides of this. Some people argue that, you know, getting a PhD is a ton of work and you should respect that and say, like, this is Dr. Jenny Jones. Um, I totally see where that perspective comes from. Um, I think it's also fair to say that... Um, underrepresented minorities tend to be denied those titles more frequently. I heard from a lot of people when I started talking to people about this that, you know, they'll be on a panel and like all of the white men get introduced as Dr. So-and-so and they get introduced as like Jane Smith and they also have a PhD and they would like to be Dr. Jane Smith, please. And I totally get that. And no matter which side of this I land on, it'll be a blanket across the board. So either it's everybody gets the titles or nobody gets the titles. We're not doing, we're not doing some do and some don't. That's definitely not going to be the policy. Um, so that's those are the arguments for doing it. The argument against, I think there are a couple of arguments, not even against it, but on the other side of like not doing it. And I want to explain why I haven't done it in the past. And that's that, you know, as a journalist and as someone making this show, my primary concern is the audience and making sure that the audience gets the information they need to get and isn't overwhelmed by information they don't need, right? Um, I throw a ton of stuff at people during an episode. Tons of information that I want you to hopefully remember some of. And a doctor title is sort of another piece of information. It's a tiny piece, but it's another thing to kind of like have in your head. Particularly, it's another like, it's another kind of like sticky thing to have in your head. And 
to me as a listener, I don't really care that much if someone has a PhD or not. I care why they're the expert. So the part where I say, you know, this is Jenny Jones and she does research on blah, blah, blah. That latter part, the research on blah, 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 is way more important to me than whether she has a PhD or not. Um, And that's sort of why that person is on the show. And the other thing I've been thinking about in relation to this is that I think that there is sometimes, hmm, how do I say this without saying the wrong thing? I think that sometimes there is an elitism around advanced degrees that can be problematic. Obviously, like we should listen to scientists on many topics like climate change and things that scientists know about. At the same time, you know, in the spirit of trying to create a space on the show that welcomes people to think about the future who have routinely been denied that spot, right? A lot of what I'm trying to do on this show is think about the future from perspectives that don't generally get invited to the seat at to a seat at the table in thinking about the future. And a lot of the time, those people, the people who don't get invited to think about the future are people who don't have advanced degrees, right? Because they're not considered quote unquote experts in the way that we normally talk about experts. Um, this is obviously sort of case by case. Like, like I'm not talking about inviting somebody on the show who has no academic background on something to talk about the academic study of that thing. Like, obviously, you know, there there are places where you need someone with a PhD and there are places that you don't. But my worry is sort of by highlighting titles in that way, if I have people, if I have an episode where I have, you know, two people who have PhDs and two people who don't, um, introducing the two with PhDs as Dr. So-and-so and Dr. Such-and-such, and then the other two people, it sort of highlights the fact that they don't have PhDs. Um, and aren't doctor, whatever. And I don't want to subtly cue to the audience that like that means that they're not as much of an expert as the other people. I think I'm up in the air about this still. I think that I'll probably think about it more. If you have strong opinions about this, I'm happy to hear them. Um, and again, I totally hear the arguments that like a PhD is a lot of work and it's really important. And to a lot of people that they've earned that doctor and that's like very important. Um, but it's also sort of, it gets into weird areas where like, okay, let's say you have a lawyer on the show who, you know, went to school for a long time, but I wouldn't call them like Esquire Jones. <laughs> that's weird. <laughs> Maybe I should. Maybe that's what they like. Um, but they also have like an advanced degree that doesn't have that same kind of thing on it. Um, and then like, I'm not going to say like a ma- master's of blah, blah, blah. Like I'm not going to get, you can get down that rabbit hole. Um, so yeah, um, that's just the thing I'm thinking about. It's a small thing, but it's a thing I think about in terms of, and the thing I've been thinking about a lot in terms of um, guests and guest identities, and particularly as I've been thinking about diversity of guests and sort of trying to diversify the guest portfolio for the show, um, thinking about how to signify who is who on the show and signify their expertise and sort of what they are, they're bringing to the, the episode. Um, okay. What else? Um... Oh, yeah. Okay. Just in general, this year, I changed things a lot. I did a new format, the mini seasons. Um, I did this whole like connecting all the intros. Um, That was like hit and miss, I think, for people. Some people really liked them a lot. Some people really hated them a lot. Some people liked some of those things and didn't like others of those things. Some people loved the snow globe and hated the teens debating and sometimes vice versa. So, uh, yeah, I think it's been interesting to hear people's responses and hear people's reactions um, and learn a lot from what people have said. And every so often I get this response whenever I talk about listener feedback, people are like, just do whatever you want. Like, don't, who cares? And to an extent, that's definitely true. And, you know, I'm not going to like stop doing fictional intros, right? Because like, that's what the show is. And that's what I get excited about. But at the same time, like, 
you do have to listen to your audience. And if they all hate something, then you stop doing it. Um, and that's not to say that I think all people hated anything that happened on the show this year. But yeah, it's been interesting to hear people's responses. I tried something new. It sort of worked. It sort of didn't. Um, I learned a lot about narrative structure and about um, scheduling and about audience and about you guys and um, and about you all and what you like and what you don't. And I'm going to sort of take all of those things into account next year. And hopefully next year will be even better than this year, which I think was better than last year. Um, so yeah, the show is just like getting bigger and better and more exciting. Hopefully that's the plan, right? That's the idea. Um, so yeah, so next year, um, like I said, every other week is going to come back to every other week schedule. And then also um, I may do a mini season thrown in there. We'll see, TBD. Um, but I am already compiling a list of futures that I want to do next year. So if you have ideas, please let me know. Um, I, I do really love it when you send your ideas and I think they're always really fun. I've got some, I got some good ones recently that I got really excited about. So you'll see them next year or you'll hear them next year. Um, that's pretty much it. Oh, $10 patrons, your stuff is going to go in the mail. Your goodie bags are going to be in the mail this week. Um, sorry, I haven't sent them sooner. Uh, it takes a, like a while to package them and stuff them and do all the things. So, um, I usually try to save them for the end of a season. So I'm not doing it while I'm also trying to like make the show. So those will go out this week. Um, you should get them in the mail. And if you don't get them in a couple weeks, let me know. Um, maybe they got lost or something. And yeah, so when the show's on a break, these um, bonus podcasts will be less frequent, but I will be checking in here and there to say hi and give you updates on stuff. And then I might also like throw some experimental stuff into this feed. Um, some people have asked about maybe hearing the intro scenes for certain mini seasons all together instead of hearing them separately on each episode, sort of stitching them together into like one longer piece. So I might try that and I might throw it into the bonus feed and see how you feel about it. Um, and then I have some other maybe weird experiments I might try um, in here. And also um, in the book club, I will continue to try to do interviews with the authors. We don't have a 100% success rate on that. Some authors just don't have time or don't respond. But I will try to keep doing those, and um, when I do them, they'll go out in this feed, so you'll get to hear them. Okay, um, that's it. In the next couple of days, you're going to see a couple of, of polls on Patreon about the future of this Patreon, um, and I've been doing some just like data collection to try to figure out what people like and what they don't like and what they want, and whether I should shift this to like a monthly donation thing or not, all that good stuff. So you'll see those in a couple of days, um, and let me know if you have thoughts about that. Um, there'll be little polls for you to vote on, which is fun. Everyone likes voting. Um, okay, that's all there is for this mini season. And this year, <laughs> and this bonus podcast for a little bit, you'll hear me again um, sooner or later. But um, but yeah, that's pretty much it. I don't know. Uh, oh, right. I'm supposed to tell you a secret. What is it? <laughs> I feel very boring that I can never come up with secrets to tell people. My secret is that um, you now basically can't get into my house because I re refuse to trim the rosebush for too long and now it's like blocking the whole walkway up to the house and I still haven't done it and that kind of shows you how many people come to our house not that many because <laughs> there's a giant rose bush in front of it okay that's it bye